What is up? What is up? Welcome to another episode of Stat Stories. I'm Chad Shanks. And I'm Justin Kabatko. And by now, you already know that the Phoenix Suns' Devin Booker dropped 70 points in a game. And while most are rightly impressed, some are trying to minimize the feat on account of his team's blatantly obvious attempts to run up his score. However, getting assistance that is outside the normal realm of play is actually a very common occurrence in some of the game's biggest individual game performances, a theme we're going to explore in episode 22 with a little help from my friends. Bench, uh, listen to your cry. <laughs> Most points in the league since Kobe's 81 in 2006. 70 points for Devin Booker. So there it is. One of the most surprising statistical accomplishments that I can remember. 70 points on 21 of 40 field goals. 4 for 11 from 3, 24 for 26 from the free throw line. Oh, and also 8 rebounds and 6 assists. So that's the kind of game that as a person who gets paid to kind of look up stats and the, try to figure out their importance, that's, that's the kind of game you kind of live for. It's like, oh my God, like there's so much going into this one. So I did not mind on a Friday evening having to sit down at the computer and just go through StatMuse because it was you just found some incredible stuff like... The easier stuff, just him being the sixth different player with 70 in a game. It's the most in the NBA since Kobe's 81 in 2006. And even he broke the Suns' single game record by over 10 points, like beating Tom Chambers' 60 from 1990. Yeah, Chambers' game. Actually, this is only somewhat related, but the, what's funny is earlier in the day, I had tweeted about Chambers setting the Suns' record on that date. What on was that, it, yeah, 20? on the same March 24th. Yeah, whatever it was. Right, it was like 27 years ago to the day, and so that was funny. And another funny thing is, I wasn't really even paying attention to the NBA that night because I was watching NCAA basketball. Yeah. And I remember just checking out Twitter during a commercial of a game and seeing that Booker had 50-something points. And then the next time I look, he's, he's at 70, and I'm like texting you like, holy crap, Booker scored 70 tonight. Yeah, and that's so, what I, yeah, that was my response. Like, I just checked myself and he had like 50 and i was impressed by that and then a minute later he's yeah. oh my god he just finished with 70. so yeah and, and you know just you were talking about some of the superlatives for for that game i mean he's so on the day of the game he was 20 years 145 days old and that's more than three years younger than any other player who scored 70 in a game which is is pretty amazing and the previous record for uh somebody who was 20 or younger was 56 by LeBron James. So he beat that by 14 points, which is, which is insane. And then yeah, he can't, another interesting... He can't, he can't buy a beer, but he can score 70 in an NBA game. That, <laughs> exactly. Such a stupid and, and, law. <laughs> yeah, I, I'd actually agree with you on if that. You can um, vote, if you can go to war, if you can drop 70 in an NBA game, you can buy a beer, damn it. Okay, now you're, you're getting off track here. So let's get back on track. And then the thing is, like, he hadn't even scored 40 points in an NBA game before that night. So he beat his previous career high by 31 points, which is the biggest improvement, biggest such improvement in NBA history. So just unexpected on so many different levels from him. 
Yeah, just insane. And of course, since we live in the world that we do, not oh, wait, everyone... wait, wait, before you get to that, hold on. One, oh. one more insane stat. He, he had 20 field goals made and 20 free throws made in that game. Only two other guys had done that, and they're named Wilt and Michael. Yeah, that's pretty Amazing. good company to be in for a scoring record. But yeah, like I was saying, since we live in the world we do, and not everyone happened to be just as blindly excited by it as we do, because when something great happens, people just want to instantly decredit, discredit it. The, the obvious one being that I think every stat muse stat that I put out on Twitter was responded to with, but they lost, but they lost the game. Yeah, in an L. Uh, Jay Crowder of the Celtics even commented on the NBA's Instagram account that had the picture of the Suns together and Booker holding up the paper with 70 on it saying, never seen so many guys happy after an L, to which Booker later replied on and deleted, you can't guard me, which was true, but petty. <laughs> the whole thing but, was just But you, But you know what's funny? There have been, there've been 11 70-point games. Five of those... The player has lost. The player's team has lost the game. Yeah, with Wilt had three of them, right? David Thompson's in '78. Uh, Was that yeah? So then Booker's the and, fifth. And, yeah, and Booker. Yeah, yeah. And so I want to just kind of get that out of the way. My own personal pet peeve, saying that I don't ever want to hear that thing. That but they lost again. Like just because it's a team lost a game, it does not instantly discredit an individual's performance yes of course it would have been better if it came in a win but just i i just want anyone listening i would hope isn't that level of a of troll on the online but i just want let's just eliminate that altogether just because something great happens and the team loses a game it does not make it any less great do you, right, do you agree with that no i agree with that but unfortunately there's more to this so i, I assume you're going to go into that right now there were there were some other things this performance was criticized for. Um, the more serious complaint, uh, the actual complaint in my view, is the way that Booker got to 70 with the Suns intentionally fouling, calling timeouts, and just doing everything they could to get Booker more scoring opportunities when in any normal game situation, the likes that they were in, they would have just run out the clock, right? They were being beaten by double digits, 20 or whatever it was. They had nothing to play for. They're eliminated from the playoffs. There was no reason to do what they did other than to try to get Booker more points. And the Celtics' Isaiah Thomas was very vocal about it afterwards. And so here's what he had to say. Were guys unhappy about it? I mean, yeah. I don't think anybody's ever seen that. I mean, they continue to call timeouts, continue to foul when we're up 15. Uh, but, I mean, it was obvious what they were trying to do and they were trying to give him the most points possible. And, I mean, hat off, hat off to him, though. He, he played a hell of a game. Do you look at that as disrespect? I mean, I don't want to get into all that. I mean, it is what it is. We won the game. Um, we're, we're worried about the playoffs. I mean, they're worried about the lottery. But you got to give your, you got to tip your hat off to Devin Booker. I mean, 70 points in, in Pro-Am in some city is a lot of points. Like, I mean, 70 points in any league is is a hell of a game. It's just how they did it at the end, and you can't even get mad at the players. But, I mean, it, it, was, it was different. So, that's so the Suns could have refuted this and, you know, just said, 
anything, but Devin Booker himself even kind of just admitted it. He told the uh, Boston Globe's Adam Himmelsbach, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing your name, um, he, he told them he knew that some of the Celtics weren't happy about the fouls and the timeouts, and he said, which I understand, but we were trying to run up my points. So like, so he admitted it. At least he he's just, honest. He admitted <laughs> that that's what honest. they were doing. And then even the Suns coach, Earl Watson, when he was asked about it, was, was a little more confrontational about it. And here's what he said. Was it about getting him to 70 points, though? It's about letting our kids be great. Y'all problem with that? Do something. Simple as that. So, yeah, that's his defense. Like, you don't want someone dropping 70 on you. Do something about it. You don't, you don't want to be the victim of this big performance. Stop them. Do something okay, but, about yeah, it. Yeah, in, in defense of the Celtics, they're in an important Eastern Conference playoff race. And the game was already pretty much decided. So they're not going to play their best players at that point, right? So yeah, I understand what Watson is saying, but they're not going to send their best players out there to stop them because it'd be stupid. Somebody gets hurt, and Brad Stevens would be criticized until the end of times for, for doing that. I mean, they have much bigger goals yeah. in mind and in, than just and, stopping Booker for one game. And just to play devil's advocate a little bit, the, the, the Suns weren't exactly running their best out there either. It's like Eric Bledsoe didn't play. Tyson Chandler didn't play. Like You look at that box score. It's Booker and a bunch of people that I don't think uh, have been heard of outside of Phoenix too much. But So it kind of brings up the question that we want to talk about, that we want to discuss for this episode, is does manipulation minimize achievement, right? So does the Suns' admitted engineering of scoring opportunities kind of lessen the level of Booker's moment? You know, does it take away from it given that it didn't happen in a tight game with playoff implications? So that's what people are asking. But before we can answer it, it's important to note that that what happened in Boston is nothing new. And one of the kind of greatest instances of statistical manipulation is going to be the source of how we're going to rank this because if we're going to we like to rank things that's what that's what we do and so we invented a scale for the unbreakable records playing off the show unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt so we invented the Kimmy Schmidt scale and so for this one if we want to go through and look at some of these other great moments and try to say on what degree did manipulation have to do with the the eventual outcome we have to have a scale so we're going to invent a new scale for this episode that has to do with tampering into statistical achievements and it is based on without a doubt the greatest instance of statistical tampering in NBA history. Mr. Kabatko is the one who's brought this up in a few of our episodes earlier. So I'm going to let him just describe the glory that was Ricky Davis's failed triple double. Okay. Well, so you kind of <laughs> kind of get you give kind of give a big spoiler there right there before you lead into me telling who who the player it's not a spoiler is. Spoiler if that it happened 14 this. years ago. Anyway, Ricky Davis uh, infamously <laughs> tried to get a triple-double. It was March 16th, 2003. Cavs and Jazz playing a meaningless game for the most part. And uh, less than 10 seconds left. The, uh, the Cavs inbound the ball to Davis. Davis dribbles to the opposing team's hoop, throws it off the bottom of the rim, and grabs the ball for a rebound because he was one rebound shy of a triple-double. Yeah. Ugh, just... Insane. And then immediately afterwards, um, Utah's Deshaun Stevenson, this the guy who thought 
getting a neck tattoo of Abraham Lincoln and two fives was a good idea. He did not think this. He did even he did not see the genius creativity in Davis's plan and like shove the mess out of him. Like just it was instantly viewed as a terrible thing to do. And so if you look back at the clips of that, the um, the U, there's video I found on YouTube of the Utah announcers calling the game who are just barely barely able to contain their disgust. So let's you, you got to hear how they how they called this. They don't give him a, re, a rebound here or a credit. For that play, well, that's a selfish thing to do. If he, if he knew that he needed that rebound, yeah, he had to know it. My man in dire need of a three, a triple double. <laughs> you can see here, gets a, just tries to throw it off the glass and get his own rebound. See what happens, but nothing happened to Sean. Just the chest into him. That's awfully cheap way of trying to get a triple double. And so those guys, they did an even better job of containing their disgust than the legendary jazz coach Jerry Sloan, who really let his feelings be known after the game. What happened? They, he shot at Jerome Basket. And he was trying to embarrass somebody by doing that. Deshaun fouled him. I would have fouled him too. I'd have knocked him on his ass. He tried to embarrass the team after a 20-point lead. You're damn right. I'd knock him down. And, and by the way, the NBA shared Jerry's disgust because they did not credit him with a rebound on that play, and so he was denied a triple-double. Poor Ricky. Yeah, poor Ricky. And I was looking on StatMuse. He had two more games in his career where he had double-digit points and assists, but with just nine rebounds. So he never captured that elusive triple-double. But what he is going to capture is naming rights in a stat stories scale. So we are inventing the Ricky scale, the Ricky Davis scale for this right now. So when we say... We're going to look through some of these great scoring performances that have been had a little bit of uh, shenanigans involved with them, and we're going to rank them on a scale of one to three Rickies. One Ricky means there might have been a little bit of tampering, but we pro it's probably didn't affect things at all. Two Rickies is going to be there was definitely some tampering. It probably played in uh, into the results, into the outcome. Three Rickies. Definite 100% tampering, and that tampering directly led to the outcome. And now you may say, well, if it's the Ricky scale, well, then wouldn't Ricky be three Rickies? No, you're definitely not understanding this. Ricky is the scale. Ricky is on another level. You can't even rank Ricky on the Ricky scale. So you just blew, you just blew my mind. Hold on a second. Ricky, if it's Ricky, is a four on a scale of one to three Rickies. All right. Nothing comes even close to that level of a, attempted statistical manipulation. Okay, we, we get the point. Can we move All right. on? This, this so, is getting tedious. Let you no. explain the scale. Let's go. All right. It's going to catch on just like the Kimmy Schmidt scale. Like if I'm you sure. try to buy a lamp on Amazon, they rank its unbreakability on a Kimmy Schmidt scale. Like, oh, this, that's a good deal. That, that lamp is two Kimmy Schmidts. And so now for every level of manipulation we see from here on out, it's going to be ranked on the Ricky scale. Let's begin. So obviously, if we're going to look at high scoring games, we have to let's start with the big one. Let's just let's just get Wilt out of the way because Wilt Chamberlain's 100 point game um, maybe might have had a little bit of a trickery involved in it. So there is as we've discussed in this episode, everyone knows there, there's no video of this. But what we do have is we have some audio of interviews 
after the fact of people who were there, people who were involved. And I think one of the things that you see whenever a, a player is going off for a historical feat like that is that the other team, it may not be the actual team in question that starts manipulating the outcome, but oftentimes it's the opposing team who are doing everything in their power to stop them because like pride kicks in. And so even Wilt himself in an interview years after the fact talks about how the Knicks were doing everything they could to try to stop him. The thing that I really began to reflect on as a 100-point game was that the other team, being the Knicks, were trying their best to keep me from scoring any points at all. They would do things like foul the other, my other team teammates. They would freeze the ball for as long as they could. They would do all sorts of dumb things. They weren't even trying to win the game. They were just trying to keep me from scoring 100. So let, let's go back to like the, the beginning of this game, pregame. Now, according to the Warriors coach at the time, Frank McGuire, he said that there wasn't any specific plan to get Chamberlain 100 points that game. And so if you go back and look, like in the first quarter, he scored 23. Second quarter, he scored 18. So he had 41 in halftime. But Wilt already had the, the single game record with 78 points. So 41, you know, I mean, obviously it's amazing. But I don't think it was stunning that it was Wilt doing this. And, and so halftime comes, and the Warriors point guard was Guy Rogers, a Hall of Famer. And Rogers reportedly said to his teammates, hey, let's get the ball to dip. The Big Dipper was Wilt's nickname. Let's get the ball to dip. Let's see how many he can get. So at halftime, sort of the plan was, was, was hatched. It's like, all right, he's got 41. Let's see how many we can get him. Um, and so Chamberlain comes out third quarter and scores 28. And that lifts him to 69 points for the game. So then fourth quarter, and this is, this is when sort of the shenanigans start. Because the Warriors are up by 19 points entering the fourth quarter. So they kind of got the game in hand. And they just tried to get the ball to Chamberlain as much as possible. And, of course, the Knicks did not like this. And with about six minutes left, they just started fouling anybody but Chamberlain to try to get him to, get, to stop him from getting 100. So any warrior that was not Chamberlain, they would foul intentionally. And they also tried to bleed the shot clock on every single possession. So they were definitely trying to, to cut into Chamberlain's uh, chances. Yeah, and then some of the external factors too once wilt kept racking up and getting closer they say the pa announcer was calling out his point total in, right after every, this, yeah after every ahead. point that he scores like will chamberlain 82 points 88 and I, I think, points and i think that's partly because the game was actually played in hershey pennsylvania so it was a neutral site and i don't know how into the game the crowd was because it wasn't necessarily a a philly crowd i mean it was in pennsylvania so i'm sure it was pro philly but it wasn't like a home game you know so yeah. um but like so yeah the, the part i think is interesting about that is his there's a documentary on youtube about the game and they talked to um chamberlain's teammate um al adels who says that that encouraged them like hearing that yeah. on the floor that that kind of like psychologically made them want to feed wilt more so here's here's what he said I do remember Zinkoff calling out every basket. And that's 82. And that's 83. And now it's starting to plug in here. But think about this. It's plugging in with all the Warrior people. It's also plugging in with all the Knickerbocker people. Paul Reason, who was a teammate of Wilt's, he kind of backed up what you are saying there about the Knicks freezing the ball. He, he said like, pretty much that, that that's definitely what was going on. The Knicks were 20 points behind during the last three or four minutes of the game, and they were freezing the ball. You don't see a team losing by 20 or 30 freezing the ball. 
And while they were freezing it, we were fouling them so that we'd get the ball back. And then consequently, when we did get the ball back, they were trying to foul our guards before the ball would get into Will. What's really funny, though, is, is the is the Warriors kind of struck back at the Knicks because they basically said, okay, well, if you're going to hold the ball, then we're just going to intentionally foul you so we can get the ball back. And so you have this this silly game where, you know, the Knicks are trying to hold the ball and the Warriors are fouling them so they can get the ball back. And then the Warriors get the ball and the Knicks are fouling them so they can't score uh, or they can't get the ball to Chamberlain. It was just kind of insane. Um, in the end, it, it didn't really matter what the Knicks did because Chamberlain scored 31 in that quarter in the fourth quarter, got him to an even 100 for the game. And st- the story is that Wilt, at the end of the game, he liked the round number of 100 so much that he didn't want the ball after that. <laughs> so yeah. that he, like, like he <laughs> didn't he want to score after there. that because he, want, he, wanted to, he wanted to be on 100 exactly. Yeah, there's, and was, there's like some mythology about how the game actually ended, right? About some... Some stories say that Wilt, uh, once he hit 100, just stood in the middle and waited for the game to finish. Wilt himself has claimed that it never finished because there was 46 seconds left and that people were celebrating so much that the game never finished. Yeah, but that's not true. Though, the game was finished. That's not yeah, true. Yeah, the radio broadcast uh, proves otherwise. But um, Wilt has admitted afterwards that his teammates did everything they could to get him the ball under any circumstance. But my teammates, once they got the ball, made sure they couldn't get fouled, they ran in positions where they couldn't be, and got me the ball under any circumstances. Even to the point of the the final basket, uh, the assist was given to him by Joe Rudlick, who was his backup, who never got to play, and admits that Wilt was being swamped, but he, and he had a wide open shot under any real game circumstance he would have taken, but instead he chose to do, he, he chose history. New York is everywhere. The time's running out, the fans are going nuts. Zink is probably yelling at me, Joe, get the ball to Wilt with the mic off. He, but the guy's collapsed all around him and I'm wide open. I've got a shot that's 12 feet. I can get into the score column in this game with a little quick jump shot. I stop dribbling and I hold the ball and I see Wilt moving around and he says, ooh, and he puts his hands like this. He bumps a guy off of his hip and there he is. I threw in the ball, boom, the rest is history. Okay, now let's, let's, let's uh, give us a rating, okay? We talked a lot about Chamberlain's game here. Let, let's give us a rating. One to three Ricky Davises, what say you? There was obviously a ton of stuff going on in this game and i think if we're going to talk about manipulation leading to a huge number i mean this is like a two and a half three ricky davises and i don't think it discredits i mean 100 points in a game it's probably never going to be done again it's incredible but there was some three ricky davis level manipulation going on in this thing yeah and i'm gonna go with two i don't i don't think it's close to a three just because of the fact that the Knicks were also doing things that were very, very strange. Like you, when you're down in a game in the fourth quarter, you don't usually hold the ball and milk the shot clock, right? Yeah. So, and I think a lot of the stuff the Warriors were doing was to counter things that were Nick, the Knicks were going, what Knicks were doing. So to me, there's there's you know shenanigans on both sides here. So I would give it a two. Okay. So the next one is we're gonna fast forward about 26 years. 
and go to the 1977-78 NBA scoring race. So this one, it was interesting. So you're going into the final day of the 77-78 season, and George Gervin and David Thompson are locked in a scoring duel. So last day of the season, Thompson has, um, I'm sorry, Gervin has 26.78 points per game, and Thompson is averaging 26.59 points per game. So obviously incredibly close race. And so they were both playing on the final day of the season, just so happened, though, that Thompson had an afternoon game and Gervin had an evening game. Thompson's game starts, and he is just on fire. First quarter, 32 points. New NBA record. So he breaks Wilt's record of 31 points in the fourth quarter of his 100-point game. Halftime, he has 53, and he ended the game with 73, which at the time was the third highest uh, single game total in NBA history. And he did not get there by just gunning the ball every single chance he got. He finished 28 for 38 from the floor. So very, very high field goal percentage. He was also 17 for 20 from the line. So that performance raised his scoring average to 27.15. And so that put him just a little bit ahead of Gervin. So in order for Gervin to get past him, Gervin was going to have to score 58 points to beat him. Yep. Game over, right? Thompson wins the scoring title. End of story. Yeah, no, not end of story. So, of course, Gervin's teammates know this. And I think the game, you know, in terms of the standings and everything, really didn't have any meaning. So they decided, all right, well, we're going to get the ball to George on almost every play here and try to get him a shot every, get, get him a shot every single time down the floor. So he starts off, good first quarter. He scores 20 points. <laughs> then in the second quarter, it's funny. So Thompson had just set the single quarter record, you know, just hours before. Well, Gervin breaks it. Gervin scores 33 yeah, in the second just, quarter. <laughs> the shortest held scoring record ever. A few right, hours. So now, now he's got 53 at halftime, um, which is incredible, of course. Um, he got to 59 early in the third quarter, which clinched it for him, right? He needed 58. He got to 59 early in the third quarter. And, and then they sat him for quite a bit of time. He came back in later, finished up with 63 points, but ended up winning the scoring title. Now, he was not nearly as efficient as Thompson was. Gervin played 10 fewer minutes. Gervin only played 33 minutes, and Thompson played 43. But Gervin got 10 more shots from the floor, and he was 23 for 49. So he shot less than 50% from the game. And then this is interesting. He was an identical 17 for 20 from the free throw line. And um, there was I found this quote that came out before. When, after Thompson did his got his record, like the Spurs are in their pregame stuff, and the media is coming up and telling Gervin about this and he says they tell him like you this is you need 58 like he they knew like you said they knew for sure the number he needed to win the title and he's like says something to the effect of well I knew I had I, I I've never scored 58 before but I sure I'm gonna try or something like that so like he, he he's admitting before the game like I'm I'm going for this and then after the fact years later and they're and found in this interview where he's talking about it, like he he admits it again and says that his teammates, like Wilts, did everything they could to get him the ball. So here's what he said: David scored his 73. The press called me up and say, "Ice, you just lost your title. David got 73, beating you by tenths of a point." I said, "Wow." And little did I know, Doug Molden was way downstairs in the lobby for me, saying, "Ice, we're gonna give you a shot at this." I said, "What you mean you gonna give me a shot at this? That's a title." I said, "It's not important to me." They say, well, it's important to us. So that's one of my most memorable moments, and not because of me scoring the points. 
It's because of the relationship that I had with my teammates. The guys gave me that ball. They cared enough about me to give me the opportunity to win my first title. One thing I think is kind of kind of funny going back to the um, quarter scoring record, and this is this is it's all connected. So it, indulge me for just a second, right? So Thompson has the record for points in a quarter. A couple hours later, Gervin breaks it. So this la this record lasts up until last season when Clay Thompson, no relation to David, broke it with 37 and a quarter. But then when people are asking George Gervin about it, like how do you feel about having your record broken? Here's here's what Gervin had to say about it. It's an added attraction to our game that we play that brings an extra point by shooting a little deeper. That's how the game is played now. I mean, that's how they judge things. But I go back to when I played. Clay Thompson broke Carmelo Anthony's record. He didn't break Iceman's record. <laughs> I mean, I th and Gervin so makes a fair point, right? That that the, there was no three-point shot back then, so you had to get your your you know your points two at a time, basically. Yeah, it's some this. I'm, I'd like to coin a new term maybe i don't know if i don't know if it'll catch on as much as the ricky scale but like george to me is here is doing what i like to call accurate pettiness like this this is just some 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 pettiness right here but he ain't wrong <laughs> like it's it's the truth like it's kind of a it's a completely different thing but i think it kind of illustrates again the point about how much these records really do matter to players and how much it, it oh, right. really it, does they always say they always say they don't care. Them. Yeah, they, they always care. say they'll say the complete opposite. Oh, I don't care about scoring title. I just want I just want to win. They they do care and it is important and you you see that going into it where Gervin knew I need fifty eight points to win the crown and went out there, he and his team did everything he could to get it. So so I'll go I'll go first on this one. I I don't think it reach the level of manipulation that happened at the end of the Wilt Chamberlain game. I don't know. I don't I didn't find any as, as detailed account of the game that would that would back up anything like this. So I think it's there's definitely some stuff going on. I'd give it maybe a two. Two Rickies for me for oh, Gervin I'd give, I'd give it a one. Thompson. I would give it a one. I, I would give it a one. They they Yeah. Yeah, they were trying to get their star of the ball and get him points. But like you said, I, I couldn't find any evidence that they were fouling intentionally or doing any other sort of, you know, trickiness to, to, to pump up their point total, you know, not calling timeouts, et cetera. So I, I would just give this a one. I mean, it, yeah, it was obvious they were right. trying to feed these guys the ball. But like I said, I couldn't find anything that made me say, boy, that's just Bush League, you know? Yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe you've convinced me to alter my my rating a little bit because the intent was definitely there, but there wasn't any, like you said, degree of degree of shenanigans that really played into it. Oh, so maybe I'll change I'll change my rating on our completely arbitrary scale. But that brings us to our next our next case, which also happens to be a scoring race with the San Antonio Spurs player that came down to the last day of the season. And that is, of course, David Robinson's infamous 71-point game, which this one I know for sure was not broadcast on TV, which it seemed like the NBA should have been doing that by the 1993-94 season, that all games should have been broadcast. But it wasn't broadcast on TV, and all the video we have of it 
is from the Spurs internal video who they had someone sitting on the sidelines with a camera. So the angle's not that great, but you have the whole game there. And you can kind of see a little bit of the shenanigans going along in, in that game. Um, what do you remember about that Robinson 71-point performance? Well, ju- just to set it up, so he and Shaquille O'Neal were, were locked in a tight scoring race heading into the final day of the season. They were um, only separated by four one-hundredths of a point. So it, very, very tight race. And Shaquille ha- had a narrow edge. So, of course, they're both going into the last game of the season trying, trying to win that title, even though they would say they weren't. Although Robinson can't say that because it was obvious there was a concerted effort to get him points. Um, yeah, they, they just, the Spurs really wanted to get the ball to Robinson as much as possible. And what's funny is the Clippers did everything they could to stop Robinson. I mean, especially toward the end of the game. They were double and triple teaming him. They would hold the ball to milk the shot clock. And what was funny is this, this game was being played in L.A., the Clippers fans turned on them. They started booing the home team because they were holding the ball and doing all this other stuff to try to prevent Robinson from getting getting more points. Yeah, this and, is the dark ages of Clippers basketball when uh, like Billy Crystal was the only person there that cared about them. Exactly, exactly. And then so they're, the Clippers are doing this stuff, and then so Spurs coach John Lucas, he gets some revenge. He pulls a, uh, a, uh, pulls a trick out of the uh, Knicks playbook in the Chamberlain game, or I'm sorry, the Warriors playbook, and he starts fouling them intentionally, fouling the Clippers intentionally so they can get the ball back and get, get Robinson more points. And he didn't do this until the last minute of the game. but And they had a 20-point lead, so it's not like they needed to foul. And um, Robinson cashed in. He got seven points in the final minute, thanks to, thanks to Lucas telling his players to foul the Clippers so, so they could get Robinson more opportunities. And so yeah. Robinson finished with 71 points, which... Uh, at the time, he was just the fourth player to reach that mark. Yeah, and the I found an LA Times article that uh, wrote it up afterwards that said that John that got John Lucas said we are trying to get Robinson the scoring title, and that Robinson spent the last few minutes basically just cherry picking to pad his point total, and that was all part of their strategy. Even um, Robinson himself told the Associated Press after the game. He said, my team has been behind me the whole year. They always push me to do a lot of individual things. As a leader, I just try to win games. But tonight, they really wanted me to shoot it. When the game started, they were looking for me almost every time down the court. So yeah, there was definitely, like the uh, Booker situation, some admitted uh, intent to what they did. And of course, this didn't play well with the uh, the opponents. Um, like, not the Clippers were... Um, very much, but the Orlando Magic, who their coach at the time, Brian Hill, said to the St. Petersburg Times, talking about the game, he said, we certainly wanted Shaquille to win the title, but we didn't make a mockery of the game like they did in Los Angeles. So yeah, there was, there was some beef there with the way, with the way that they actually came out and, and did this. Um, Shaq himself even said another quote, sorry I don't have audio for this, but found some newspaper stuff where um, they had, the AP asked Shaq about it, and he said, I heard they ran every play to Robinson. If that would happen down here, I would have 70 points too. I didn't care. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did, fool. You wouldn't, you wouldn't have said that if, if, you didn't, if you didn't care. So, yeah, there's, there was definitely 
admitted intent going on here in with the Spurs and the Clippers game. Don't you agree? Oh yeah. And by the way, Shaq had a had a great game actually that day. Shaq had 32 points and 22 rebounds. Um, but Robinson 71 was good enough to uh, tilt the scales in his favor, and he ended up winning the scoring race. So mission accomplished, I guess, for the uh, Spurs. Yeah, and I think it's important to note a lot of these games are taking place in situations where the outcome of the game itself, for the most part, doesn't matter, right? Happen, happen to happen on the, uh, the last day of the season or with teams who are completely out of contention, either one team or both teams. So that, that kind of already kind of adds an air of, of suspicion to it that the games themselves don't matter for the most part when these these great performances take place so it kind of plays into it a little bit right that maybe they're already going into it not playing with the same strategy the same um uh, dedication is maybe a strong word you know the same way that they would they they would play in in a normal game that actually counted what you're basically saying is if these teams were involved in a tight playoff race and needed a win they never would have done this it wouldn't have happened yeah right okay so robinson i'm gonna go first for him yeah, right. I'm gonna I'm gonna give him two Rickies, um, just because of the fact that they're up 20 and they're fouling to give him more points at the end. To me, that's that's kind of bush league and um, great game by a great player. But I'm gonna give it two Rickies. Yeah, I agree with you there. I would give it two, and I think it's I think the Wilt game is a little bit higher just because there was a from the accounts we have just another level of manipulation going on even if it wasn't intentional like with the pa announcer calling out and stuff like that um yeah there was definitely some stuff going on there i give it i give it two rickies and again doesn't take away from the fact that david robinson dropped 71 points in a game you still need a hell of a lot of skill to be able to accomplish that i don't care what the situation is but so let's get uh let's move on to a little bit closer to uh to today and let's talk about your favorite player in the league as we finally admitted to our listeners last last week mr kobe bryant because we can't talk he's about no, he's no longer in the league so he's not oh, my favorite player favorite player who's ever been in the league kobe bryant is that is that how you're gonna defend yourself to that with that technicality instead of like calling out my blatant lie and saying no i that he's in no way my favorite in any way shape or form you gotta you're gonna come in with that technicality so I know somewhere deep down inside you appreciate Kobe and what he's what he accomplished. That's that's the, the f- fake that's the fake lawyer in me. Coming the fr- <laughs> the first accomplishment, of course, his eighty-one point game, second most of all time. This game we have the benefit of having full live broadcast of. We have, you know, without any having to go to any amount of trickery to try to see what actually happened. This was relatively recent. And unlike some of these other games we've talked about, this this was actually a close game um, in the relatively middle of the season, I guess. I, f- I forget the exact date. Uh, apologies for that. But yeah, it wasn't like last day of the season, anything like that. It was just the Lakers were down against the Raptors, and Kobe just started going off and just went crazy, came back. The Lakers wo- actually won the game, and... So, like, some of the trickery that you try to say from the other team, uh, the Raptors coach, Sam Mitchell, who was on NBA TV's uh, Game Time show, talked about that and admitted that, like, why the Raptors didn't result to any of these types of trickery that the other teams did. So here's what he had to say. Okay, <laughs> let, me, let me lay this out for you guys. We were winning the basketball game in the fourth quarter, okay? So 
We played a triangle in two. We played a box in one. We played zone. We played every defense that I could think of and my assistant coaches that we could conjure up. Then Kobe Co went in the phone Kobe booth. Kobe Bryant made some <laughs> shots that night. He double pumped. He traveled. He spent the opposite way. He made shots that were incredible. So at the end of the night, I was stuck between everybody was saying, well, you should just run the whole team at him. No, we were winning the game. So I would. So whether or not you agree with Sam Mitchell's strategy of how to contain a, an exploding Mamba, uh, it really doesn't seem like anything happened here that would give me any pause. Like Kobe scored 81 points in a run-of-the-mill regular season game that was mostly competitive for the most part. Um, I couldn't find anything that would make me think this was even a one Rick on the Ricky scale. Like this was just a legit dude going off and anything that had to do with teammates helping him out was just the, the old adage of feeding the hot hand. Right. Um, yeah, no, I mean, as much as it pains me to say it, I would give this zero Rickies. Zero because, Rickies. This because, was Because, like you legit. said, there's nothing engineered, nothing engineered here. It's not like they went out and were trying to get him a bunch of points. It's a close game. Um, yeah. Easily a zero Ricky. Yeah, the only thing we can even throw in there to try to denigrate it compared to uh, Wilt or David Thompson or Gervin or their big their big games, say, oh well, he, maybe he hit a couple threes. I mean, that's if you're really really trying to like knock it down a few notches in the annals of annals of history. Yeah, this was a legit scoring zero Rickies. All right, let's but, juxtapose that with his final game then. His final game, which we talked about last week, which kind of was the the genesis for for this this discussion uh, before Devin Booker, you know, made it a definite must talk about was Kobe's last game, of course, where he scored sixty points, the most ever in a player's final game on fifty shot attempts. Uh, but it was a close game. The Lakers won a close game that was decided in those final three minutes when he just really went bananas. Um, okay, but here's the question. Was it close because of Kobe? In other words, was it like a positive thing or was it a negative thing? It was close because of Kobe's yeah. <laughs> horrible, horrible gunning that game. Well, you can say shots. You can say that about Kobe's last three whole seasons pretty he much was, like he was six for 21 on three pointers that game <laughs> six yeah. for 21 do you i wonder if the jazz really get a, a big lead if he's not shooting the ball like that yeah well i mean part of that i mean they were a terrible team they they that they lost everything with or without kobe so yeah i get what you're saying i'm not i'm not arguing against it i think you can easily go both ways on that but so one thing i was looking for was video of like we found with Gervin and Wilt and uh, or even quotes like we found with David Robinson of his teammates admitting that they were getting him the ball or Kobe admitting that, yeah, my teammates definitely wanted me to do this, something like that. Guess how many I found? Here, I'll play it for you right now. Yeah, zero. I'm sure the answer is zero. Nothing. That doesn't mean it doesn't exist. I mean, maybe if someone finds it, Tweet it to us and show us, but I could not find anything of like Kobe, you know, doing that thing where he shouts out to his teammates. And I went back and was watching the end of that game. He, I don't know, maybe you can argue this was his whole career. He literally got the ball in the inbounds, head down, went down the court, was not even pretending to look 
for a, for a, a teammate. I mean, it was just straight. I got the ball. I'm playing one on one with whoever guards me, and yeah, the, the, this this game definitely has. If we're gonna say there was a level of manipulation involved, or it wasn't in the spirit of your general type of gameplay. Yeah, there was there was definitely a lot of that going on. But like I said last week, oh my god, did I love this game. I it I don't love it on the sense of, you know, the a game 7 in the finals or something like that, but just the the incredible cojones it took for Kobe's like this is my last game. Screw it all. I'm shooting 50 times. And hey, they still won. They, they by, the Lakers yeah. got the win. And by the way, he was almost he was 37 at the time. He's almost five years older than any other player who scored 60 in a game. So he's by far the oldest player to score 60 in a game. Yeah, I loved it. Absolutely loved it. I don't care how much you, your hatred for Kobe clouds it. It was just an, an incredible moment. But there was some rickiness. There was a little bit of rickiness involved. Even if it was just Kobe himself saying, I'm going to be a one-man wrecking crew. And I don't, you know damn the outcome i'm i'm just shooting every time yeah i mean okay 20 22 for 50 from the floor 44 percent. that's the second lowest ever in a 60 point game and like i said earlier he was six for 21 on three pointers so <laughs> there is some good and there is some bad with this okay so as much as i'd like to give this three ricky davises <laughs> i'm not gonna do that i'll give this a one because it yeah, was, it's a one it was blatantly obvious that like you said that he was gonna do everything in his power to shoot every time he had the ball. Yeah. And he would only pass if absolutely necessary. Um, so definitely there was some rigging going on there in terms of his teammates and him deciding this was his night to shine. Other than that, though, you know, Kobe scored 13 unanswered points in the final two minutes, and he rallied the Lakers from a 10-point deficit to win the game. And so you gotta give got to give props to him for that. So it was the Kobeest game the possible. The Kobeest game possible, and I loved it. it but it, there's, it's a one Ricky Davis. We can't, we can't say it was just a normal run-of-the-mill sixty-point game, which if, if that's even a thing. But you know, compared to if we have, we're gonna, we have to be fair. As much as I might have just loved everything about that game, so I think those are our main issues that we want to focus on. So let's wrap it back around, back to Devin Booker, right? So if we're going to, given how we rank these other performances, so let's look at what happened with Devin Booker, 70 points, and given the scenario in which he got it, Justin Kabatka, what are your final thoughts and your ranking for Devin Booker? Yeah, so I remember saying to you shortly after Booker's 70 points, and like I said, I wasn't watching the game. I was watching NCAA basketball, so I didn't really know what was going on. And then when this information started trickling in where it's like, oh, the Suns were fouling at the end and the Suns were calling timeouts, I remember sending you a text and saying, well, that kind of cheapens it for me. And then, you know, the next day I thought about it some more and I was thinking about, you know, the Gervin Thompson thing and the Chamberlain game and the Robinson thing. And I was like, you know, it's not like this has never been done. So it cheapens it for me, but not as much as I originally felt when I first heard about the uh, the shenanigans that were going on. I'll give this to Ricky's though. Just just the fact that you're losing big and you're fouling intentionally and you're calling timeouts at the end of the game just to get your player more shots, that didn't sit well with me. So I'll give it a two. Yeah, he got help. He definitely got help to, to get there. But 
so what? You know, so did Wilt. So did Robinson. So does everyone to some extent in this game, these types of games, right? So like I mentioned earlier, the whole feed the hot hand thing is is a positive aspect if a player ends up with 30 or 40. But once they get up to 50, 60, or even 70, like we saw, all of a sudden it discredits it. Like all of a sudden it's a bad thing for continuing to feed the person who's who's on fire like crazy. Like to me... As long as everything is done within the rules of the game, regardless of how much you stretch those or play with the intent, like it doesn't matter. Like 70 is 70. And I don't think anything should ever take away from Devin Booker, especially as a 20-year-old, going for 70 in a game. That being said, yeah, there was there was some full-blown manipulation going on here. It's And, and, and by the way, if this it, had been Major League Baseball... Somebody would have taken out Booker's knees. Oh, they would have played. Yeah, it would have been played in protest. You know what I mean, like, and, like, like, you know, when the pitchers start throwing at hitters because they hit a home run the last time up. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah if, this, if this was baseball and NBA had these unwritten rules that baseball has, uh, yeah, somebody would have gone after Booker's knees. Yeah, they definitely broke unwritten rules of the NBA, as we saw Isaiah Thomas voicing his concerns, and th- that's the whole reason we're doing the podcast because enough people voiced. Concerns. So I'm I'm on board with you again with two Rickies just because the nature of the game, especially there at the end, was changed. The spirit of the game was changed in order for someone to reach a scoring mark, a scoring plateau. But again, I say if you're gonna do a stat muse, uh, ask a question on stat muse, and you see that little orange bar for most points, uh, who scored the most points in a game? You see that orange bar with Devin Booker. It does not deserve any sort of asterisk or anything like that because that's what happens in these in these high scoring games. Like he scored seventy within the rules with some of the same shenanigans that happen in everything else. It is what it is. It happened, but I don't. It does not take away in one whatsoever from what he accomplished. And I think someone who agrees with that sentiment was Mr. Kobe Bryant, who was on ESPN. He was asked about it, and here's what he had to say. We still have to appreciate that game, and I get lost in that because yes. the fact of the matter is that win is going to sit on the books for the time being. Absolutely. Scoring 70 is something that we haven't seen. He's 20 years old. I mean, that's 70 points is a lot of, it's a lot of points. I mean, so we still have to appreciate the fact that somebody did that. So even to Kobe himself, who he rightly says, the game itself was temporary. The the who got the win, who got the loss, it's gonna be forgotten soon. But seventy points is forever, and Devin Booker is gonna be on that list forever, and he deserves it. I, there's no reason why he shouldn't get full credit for what he accomplished. So, thank you for listening. We're gonna wrap wrapping this up right now. I hope that you got a lot out of this. If you disagree with anything that we said or wanna talk about a certain um, scoring in instance that we didn't bring up please you can hit us up on twitter at statmuse or me at chad j shanks justin at j kabatko and if you download it on itunes or google play or something like that be sure to check out our blog at blog.statmuse.com we're going to have some of the results from statmuse questions that uh, you can look through and see how we arrived at the conclusions that we did Thank you again for listening. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time on the next episode of Stat Stories.